A writer named uh, Ken Davis tells a story about being at a hotel one night on a business trip. In the middle of the night, he heard a, a thump against the outside door, which he was sure was someone trying to get into his room. So he got up to see what was going on and saw that it was really just the paper being delivered. So he stepped outside to pick it up, and then he heard a truly terrifying sound, the door closing behind him. And he realized that he was standing in the hall in a pair of underwear with little white or little red strawberry hearts all over it that his wife had given him. So he had to put the paper around him and go down to the front desk, get a key, let himself in. Well, when he got home, he was telling his wife this story, and he said, and, and what would have happened if it really had been a maniac with a chainsaw? And she started to laugh and said, don't worry, I've seen you in that underwear. You could have held him off. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself in some kind of situation in life that you don't know how you got there and you don't know how to get out of it? That is the prodigal son's problem. He leaves the father who in this story represents God and goes to a far country and then he begins to starve to death. That's the pickle he gets himself into. We've been, we're looking at this uh, parable, this, this advent, and looking at it from the perspective of the three main characters. And today I want to look at it from the perspective of the prodigal and ask you this question as we start. What's your far country? What is it that causes you to wander away from God or your true self? What is your far country? Because we all have them, from big ones to small ones. You know, you hear the word prodigal son and you think of something huge like drug addiction or something like that. But truth is, most of our far countries are more daily than that. Maybe it's just being too busy for God. Coming to church once in a while, but not thinking of him much after that. Maybe you've invested yourself heavily in career and success at the expense of faith, family, and friends. And now you're wondering if you even have a job. Or maybe it's an attitude or a, or a grudge you can't let go of, a habit you can't break. What is your far country? And how's it working for you? Jesus tells this story so that prodigals like you and me can know how to come home to the Father. And when we come home to the Father, to God, he blesses us with a future that is filled with joy and significance and adventure more than enough with plenty left over. So what I want to do in these next few minutes is just take a couple of verses at a time and kind of walk through this story a couple of verses at a time to show how we can go back to God when we've wandered away from him. And the first thing we have to do is realize what our real problem is. The son says to his father, give me my share of the estate. There's a scholar named Kenneth Bailey, and, and he showed this parable to, to all, hundreds of people in all kinds of villages all around the Middle East. And he asked them the same question. Has anyone in your village ever made a request like this? And they were all horrified. And they said, no, no one ever would. And if they did, the father would beat him. Because in that culture, what the son is really saying is, old man, I wish you'd drop dead. And that's his real problem. It's not wild living. It's not breaking the rules. It's not whatever he does in the far country. That's not his real problem. His real problem is breaking relationship with the father. You know, Christianity is often associated with keeping a lot of rules. But that is not what Christianity is about. It's about making and keeping right relationship with God, ourselves, and each other. In fact, that's what the word righteous means, right-relatedness. One of the delightful things about my wife is she never uses profanity. But she does have this interesting substitute that she uses. She uses people's names instead, famous people. 
So one of her favorites is Chester Nimitz, who was an admiral in the Navy. So she'll stub her toe and she'll say, Chester T. Nimitz, it's surprisingly effective. <laughs> it has the right amount of consonants to sound like profanity, make you feel better when you say it. Only we discovered a few weeks ago that his middle initial isn't T, it's actually W, which isn't nearly as good. So now sometimes she'll get upset and she'll say, Newt Gingrich. <laughs> Not a political comment at all. It's, it's really just an expression. Now, in a conventional understanding of morality, she's being, quote, righteous because she's obeying a rule. She's not cussing. Wrong. That is not a biblical view. That is not a biblical view. All of God's commands are about making and keeping right relationship with him, each other, and ourselves. They're all about how to have great relationships. Take the Ten Commandments. First four, how to have a good relationship with God. Last six, how to have good relationships with each other. The prodigal's problem, his real problem, is not breaking the rules. His real problem is he broke relationship with his father. And we do that almost daily, in big ways, in small ways. A while back, one of my kids was talking to me about God and was saying some really profound things about God. And you know what? I, all I could think was, this is going to make a great sermon illustration. I let my job get in the way of connecting with my kids and what God was trying to say to me through them. Even in that little moment, we break relationship with God in all kinds of ways. And when we do that, when we break relationship with the Father, then all hell busts loose, literally. And that's what the son discovers. The story goes on. And after he spends all of his money, it says there was a famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. You see, that is always the result of our far countries. When we break relationship with the Father, when we wander away from God and disobey God, we begin to be in need. Our addictions force us into a closet of shame and secrecy. Or we rely on money or other things for security only to find they're not all that reliable and only God can give us security. Or we ignore God, but, but then we begin to wonder if there isn't more to life than going, getting up and going to work and consuming things and doing it over and over and over again. You know, one of the objections to this parable, one of the reasons people don't like it is they say, well, he, the prodigal son just gets off scot-free. No punishment. That is not true. He has to deal with the consequences of his sin. He ends up feeding pigs, which in that culture would have been the most degrading, disgusting thing you could ever think of doing because pigs were unclean animals. I mean, it'd be the equivalent for us of, of being a male prostitute or something. It's, it's very degrading work. When we disobey God, we wreck our lives, which is a good reason not to do it. But here's the turning point of the story. And here's where the hope arrives. Because when he gets to that point, the very next line is important. He says, when he, it says, when he came to his senses. And that is the first step toward receiving the abundance God has to give us. We have to come to our senses and admit that this far country thing is wrecking our lives. Admit our sin. And that's tough to do in a culture that doesn't believe people sin. When my kids were younger, I remember one night, my youngest daughter suddenly screaming from the kitchen. So I went in to see what had happened. And there she was sprawled out on the floor next to the pantry door. And my son was standing there looking very guilty. And I said, what happened? And he said, the door knocked her down. <laughs> All on its own. That's some door, right? I mean, Mistakes were made. Sounds like the government, right? <laughs> we have a hard time admitting our sin, admitting this far country thing isn't working out. But when we admit it, 
we take a step toward home. But that is not the most important step. That is, it's a good step, but it is not the most important step. The most important step is what the son says next. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? This is the most important step the prodigal son takes. And it's not to recognize his badness, it's to recognize the father's goodness. And yes, his motives are self-interested, he's starving, yeah, but he still has this dim, misty memory that the father is good, even to his hired servants, how much more to his son. The most important step in receiving the blessings God wants to give us is not to recognize how bad we are, it's to recognize how good the father is. Because when we know that he's good, we can return to him unafraid because we know that we will not be condemned. We know that we'll be welcomed. When I'd only been here about three weeks, one Sunday in a sermon, I mentioned that when I was in high school, I had an affinity for the party scene. And I named the substance and admitted that, yes, indeed, I had inhaled it. The gasp at the first service was audible. And, you know, I didn't know you guys then, so I didn't know that you were the grace-filled, forgiving, loving congregation that you are. So my immediate thought was, oh, no, too much information too soon. Right? Oh, I am so fired. So I changed it. No one else in any other service has ever heard that line. <laughs> like, if you came at 11 that day, you did not hear it. Well, after one of the services, I had some people, after the first service, some people came up to me and they said, you know why we gasped, didn't you? And I said, because you're going to fire me? And they said, no, it was all the people your age, many of whom had the exact same lifestyle way back in the day. And now we've got a conversation with our kids that we didn't want to have because thanks to you, they're going to ask. <laughs> and now they're going to ask you again today. <laughs> Merry Christmas. You see, I have no chance. I have to have that conversation with my kids because I've so said everything I ever done, have done in sermons, so it's there for them to discover. So enjoy the conversation. <laughs> now, I want to be clear. I'm not proud of what I did in high school. It was extremely destructive. It took me years to recover from it academically and, and emotionally. It was a terrible thing to do. But when I first told you, I didn't know you, so I was afraid. But now I, I offer that sermon illustration unafraid because I know your heart. And I know that you're filled with grace. The most, and it's the same with God. The most important step to going home is not to recognize how bad we are. That's an important step, but it's not the most important step. The most important step is to realize how good the Father is. So the son heads home, and he prepares this little speech. And the speech has three parts. Part one, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, he recognizes his sin. Part two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He recognizes relationship has been broken. Part three, make me one of your hired servants. In other words, he offers to make up for his sin, to pay it back. Now this, this is like when you say, okay, God, if you just get me out of this, if you just help me out now, I'll, I'll be really good and I'll go to church. And I'll, be, I'll be nice to cats and I'll give some money. Well, maybe not that, but I'll be nice to cats. <laughs> he does not believe that he can be a son anymore. Only a hired servant who has to pay back a debt. He still doesn't understand how deep the father's love is until, until when he was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the Greek there literally means and kissed him and kissed him and could not stop kissing him. 
And then he launches into his speech, which has how many parts? Three parts. And the father lets him say part one, Father, I have sinned against you in heaven because confession frees us from shame and guilt. And the father lets him say part two, I am no longer worthy to be called your son because when relationship is broken and we acknowledge it, it's the first step toward healing. But the father does not let him say part three. Before the son can offer to pay for his mistake, the father interrupts him and gives him two important things. And these are the two things that God always gives us when we return to him, always. And the first is he gives him a future. He says, quick, put a ring on his finger. And the ring that the father is talking about is the family signature ring that was used to dip in wax and then seal contracts and documents. In other words, the father is saying he, this son is still a part of the family, can still conduct family business. He has a future. No matter how far we've wandered, no matter how long we've been wandering, it is never too late. It is never over. There is always second, third, fourth chances with God. And when we come back to him, he gives us a future filled with joy and adventure and significance and community and intimacy with him. And then the second thing the father gives us is he replaces our shame with his joy. He says, bring the best robe and put it on him. And the best robe would have been the father's robe. That is, while this son is still stinking of pigs and garbage and sewer, the father covers him with his own robe. And not only covers his son's shame, but replaces it with the dignity and the honor of the father. And then they go have a party and they celebrate. I don't care what you have done or what you haven't done. I don't care how dirty your uniform is from the game of life. If you know Jesus, you are a new man, you are a new woman. The old is gone, the new has come. God has replaced your shame with his joy and nobody's judging you here. And I know that sitting in this room are hundreds of stories of how God does this. Addictions overcome. Wounds from adultery healed and marriages restored. Dark secrets confessed, forgiven, forgotten. Some of you have seen your relationship with your kids go from tense to joyful. Some of you have had boredom replaced with the adventure of being part of God's rescue operation to this world. When my first wife left me. I, at that point, had been a Christian for a long time. But after the divorce, I, I went to a far country. But it was a very subtle far country. I rarely went to church, and when I did, didn't pay much attention, because what I was really focused on was success. <clears throat> I'd started a graduate program in California, and I worked really hard to excel above all of my other colleagues. And I was focused on having fun. Not raucous fun, just lots of entertainment and stuff like that. <clears throat> Well, two years into this, a friend of mine who was a youth pastor at University Presbyterian Church invited me to come and be speaker at his retreat for high school students. And I laughed. And he said, no, really? Now, at this point, I, I was barely going to church. I was shoulder high in shame from having failed in my first marriage. And I was way too concerned with excelling in my career to, the, to, to take time to go talk to high school students. Plus, I am decidedly uncool. And I, it always seemed to me that if you really want to talk to high school students, then, then you, you, know, you need to be named Skip and able to surf and say things like, yo, dog, and props to my peeps. And, you know, <laughs> I have no idea what those phrases mean, but I heard a cool person say them once, so <laughs> threw them in there. So I told my friend all of this, and he said, uh-huh, time to get back on the horse, Scott. I'm sending the tickets tomorrow. So I, I came up, and I remember right before the retreat, I felt like I was going to throw up. I was so nervous. But it ended up being a turning point weekend in my life. I spoke on the parable of the prodigal son. 
because I could relate to it. And I ended up having dozens of conversations with high school students where they opened their lives to me and I opened my life to them. And I discovered they didn't really want someone who could say, yo, dog, or props to my peeps. What they really wanted was someone they could have an authentic conversation with. And for the first time in two years, I felt close to God again. I felt that he was right beside me saying, Scott, you still have a future. I have not given up on you. And there's some cool stuff I want to do together. So come on, let's go. That phone call from my friend was God calling me back, calling me back to him from the far country I'd wandered off to. And in that weekend, God took, took away some of my shame and replaced it with joy and with a future. I went home to California. I started volunteering to lead a Bible study of college guys who became lifelong friends. I discovered I had gifts for ministry that could help people that I didn't know I had. God gave me a future filled with significance, community, intimacy with him. Now, it's not like it's over. You know, I still take little day trips to the far country almost every day. In fact, sometimes I think what I, I actually live in the far country and I only come to the father's home to do my laundry and then go back to the far country. <laughs> Which is why this story is so familiar to me. Not because I've read this parable hundreds of times, but because it is so much about me and maybe about you too. As the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And yet it's this bundle of contradictions, of successes and failures, of good motives, all messed up with some lousy motives. It is this mess that God welcomes home and says to me what he says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. I want to be with you. You give me joy. Not because of any virtue of my own, because I don't have any, but because of what Jesus has done for me and for you. You know, in a way, this story of the prodigal son is also about Jesus. He, Jesus, also is a prodigal son who at Christmas leaves his father's home in heaven to go to a far country. And not the pretty parts of that far country either. Born in a barn, died on a garbage heap, and spent everything in between with thieves and prostitutes and foul-mouthed fishermen just to get to you and just to get to me. And then he returns to the father with you and me in tow where we are welcomed home regardless of what we've done or have not done. A writer named Philip Yancey tells a story of an engaged couple in Boston who decided to throw a very elaborate wedding reception at the Hyatt for their wedding. But then three months before the wedding, the groom got cold feet and he dumped the bride. So she went to the hotel to get her money back, but it was non-refundable. So she decided to throw a party the likes of which the Hyatt had never seen. She sent invitations out to all the shelters in Boston for homeless folk and, and drug addicts to come to this party. And then she worked real hard to make it creative. One of the creative things she did was she changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. <laughs> kind of clever. Went all out, decorated and everything. And then for one night, the down and outers of Boston ate and sang and danced and celebrated like there was no tomorrow. Folks, that is the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God. And that's God. No matter how many times we reject him, even if we are the boneless chicken groom in this story, God has grace and God has mercy. And he says to you and he says to me, welcome home, my son. Welcome home, my daughter. Now let's party. So what's your far country? And will you return to the Father? 
For some of you, that might mean saying for the first time, Jesus, will you please be the leader of my life and the forgiver of my sins? And if you make that commitment today, would you please come to this prayer room and talk to someone so that we can help you take the next step? And if you're watching on the podcast, would you please email me or email someone in the church so we can help you? Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've wandered away, workaholism or an addiction or an attitude or a grudge or a habit, or maybe simply just being too busy to connect with God. Even in that far country, can you hear your father's voice inviting you home? And will you admit your sin? But more importantly, remember the goodness of the father and return to him and then do what he tells you to do, not to follow a bunch of rules, but because it will bless you and make you whole and give you joy more than enough with plenty left over. In the words of one of my favorite hymns, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, Come home.